BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Whoa, it is not Bill Press. It is me, Peter Ogburn, sitting in on a Friday, August 10th, all day long. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you watching the program today. And, oh, what a program it is. We've got so much to talk about. Uh, Good grief. This weekend is the big... uh, racist, white supremacist, white nationalist, however you want to call it, whatever you want to call them, uh, bad bad hombres, all descending into Washington, D.C. Uh, they're going to be here this weekend. We're going to talk about that with a writer for The Washingtonian, Brittany Shepard, who will be here a little bit later on this hour. Plus, we'll take a look at some of the uh, campaign uh, midterm fallout with Elena Schneider from Politico. And uh, the Manafort trial rolls on. We will talk to Ryan J. Riley from the Puffington Host, who will be here in the second hour of the program. Don't forget, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Again, my name is Peter Ogburn. Thank you for joining us. Ray Rogers, running the board. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Uh, McKenna is in as well, helping out, and Cyprian Bolding, handling all of the video operations today. Uh, this story is one of those like stories that really doesn't matter, but I saw it and I just thought, ooh, I don't love this. So there is uh, a woman in China who wanted to have a baby. And she had in vitro fertilization, which a lot of people do. And she is now pregnant with twins. Congratulations. She is 67 years old. Hmm. How do you feel about that? You know, I think that motherhood is wonderful, and I would hate to deny it to anyone who wants to experience it. Completely. But I think that... I don't know. It's a tough one, right? Like medicine has caught up to the point where if a almost 70 year old woman wants to be pregnant, then she can. But is it what's best for her own personal health and for the future baby's health? Arguably, no. I think this comes down to the age old argument of could have, 
versus should have. Can we get a, like, can science get a 67-year-old woman pregnant? Yes, we can. Should we? Again, I don't want to deny anybody the right to have a child, but I think of it this way. I have a 13-year-old. I have a 13-year-old child. When she has a 13-year-old, she will be 80. Yes. Is that fair? Also, I mean, it's a... It's considered a complicated pregnancy and a high-risk sure. pregnancy when you are, like, 40 years old because <laughs> there are questions about whether or not your body will be able to handle the pregnancy sometimes. Yeah. So it only the risk increases with each subsequent year, so I can't imagine. I think it's pretty high up there for a risk. She would yeah. be one of the oldest women to ever give birth. Uh, I'm trying to find out, like, what the oldest person to give birth would be. Uh, or, or was, if there's a record for that, but I haven't seen that. But 67 years old, she's pregnant with twins. With twins. Yeah, I don't know about this. I'm going to say that it was um, unwarranted behavior on the doctor's part. I think that's, I think that's exact. Like, look, I don't fault anybody for wanting to have a child. But there are so many means to become a parent, sure. right? Sure. Sure, you want to be a parent to adopt a child. There's lots of kids that need adopting. That's fine. But to put yourself at great risk to have to carry twins at the age of 67, but also what kind of parent are you going to be? And again, I don't want to like beat on this woman too hard, right? Like I understand the desire. I don't know. I'm torn. I think people should tweet us about this story. Sure. I think it's a big moral dilemma, actually. I, I, find, find us on Twitter at BP Show. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand. I think firmly. I think this is irresponsible of the doctor, and it's a bad idea. Okay, I also agree that it is irresponsible of the doctor, uh, but I don't know if I fault the mother for wanting to go through with it. I don't fault her for wanting to, but I think that somebody should have to- told her like this is a bad idea. Again, you're gonna have two teenagers when you're 80. When you're 80. How many fathers are there, though, that uh, got someone pregnant when they were 67? Totally fair. But that's, I think it's a different issue. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Yes, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. We've got a big Friday show on tap. So much stuff to talk about. Good grief. Yesterday was one of those weird days where, like, you know, the, the, the Trump administration, I think, did a fairly good job of changing the subject because I, I, I was mostly off the grid yesterday with news. I went to a... Di- I went to a day baseball game yesterday uh, at 1 p.m. on a Thursday. Uh, Let me tell you, you missed an out-of-this-world news day. (laughs) Apparently. But every time I checked in on the news, it was all, it was not about the Paul Manafort trial. It was not about Donald Trump being taped by Omarosa. They're like, there's nowhere safe for us to go news-wise on this planet. We have to go to space. We got to go to space. We have to get out of the atmosphere. Leave this planet. (laughs) Take me from this godforsaken planet. Out to space. (laughs) Where yesterday everybody's talking about the Space Force. Uh, Now, like, a little bit of a hot take here. A little bit of a hot take. I don't think that 
being aware of this other, like uh, uh, having some sort of preparedness for handling combat in space or around space, I don't think it's a horrible idea. I think a lot of other countries have done it. And I think that being prepared for that on some level is not a terrible idea. Creating a whole new branch of military, throwing millions upon millions, if not billions, if not trillions of dollars at fighting wars in space at this point with this particular group. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is a bad idea. Like, here, here's what I will say. Honestly, if Barack Obama had come out and made a very serious case for the fact that other countries have developed weaponry for outer space and even even it's like uh uh like reconnaissance stuff right like drones and all this stuff we're getting out of the atmosphere and all that stuff if Barack Obama come out and laid it out everybody would have been like oh then what a forward-thinking president this is so good yes this is where the next things are going to be fought but this is not Barack Obama and here's here's the other thing the way that Pence and the rest of the clowns up there were talking about it they were speaking as though we were fighting a war we're in war. 1940 that yeah. like we're going to send physical bodies shuttle them out into space where they're going to be fighting in like hand-to-hand combat right. and it's like we are so beyond war like that oh my god we don't even fight wars here like that that's anymore that's what i mean yeah. and so i think that while your idea is true that maybe if there were a serious case presented for a technological advancement yeah. where we would be prepared for some kind of war that would happen outside of our atmosphere. No, Pence thinks that we are preparing a physical force of men and women to right. send out there to fight. That's my point. That's my point. It's not a terrible idea to have some sort of readiness for for like that field, sure. right? It's 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 genuinely not. There's been a lot of actually very smart and good writing, especially like Donald Rumsfeld, again, someone I don't trust to put this, like, idea to push this forward, but he had this idea when he was head of, uh, when he was Secretary of Defense, um, before 9-11, and it all got scrapped because of 9-11, then we had other people to kill here uh, on this planet, and so we just put that all aside, but uh, this is not, this is not a well-thought-out, nuanced approach to how we fight wars in the 21st century. This is not that. And Donald Trump talked about Space Force a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time we really heard him get into it. Uh, shock, he didn't do a great job selling it. <laughs> <laughs> he re- I, he didn't convince me. So they put out the straight man uh, to, to Donald Trump's uh, clown show, uh, Mike Piss, yesterday. Uh, you're right. It's so funny to hear him talk about it because he sounds like he's Uncle Sam or something or like trying to be, you know, Captain America. Yes. And like playing onto our, the the tired old canard of like, you know, loose lips, sink ships, you know, like this old (laughs) crappy American war propaganda. Just listen to him talking about like American dominance in space. As President Trump has said in his words, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space, we must have American dominance, dominance in space. And so we will. 
It's not about that. And it's not so, about being number one. And so we will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's God like, has willed this, and so and, be and it. So, uh, God, as God has written, we will defeat the aliens. As soon as we find the life, we are going to bomb the hell out of them. Like, uh, again, you could come out and you could say there is a whole new battlefield out there, and other countries have prepared for it, and they have ships up there, and they are monitoring what's going on out there. And if we have to have some sort of warfare in space, they are ready for it, and we are not. You want to make that pitch to me? Cool. I'm with it. But coming out and barking about American dominance in space. And, like, he goes on to talk about this whole – they keep talking about this whole new domain of space. I'm going to play that second clip where he talks about, like, space is now a war-fighting domain. Like, Our adversaries have transformed space into a warfighting domain. What? Already. And the United States will not shrink from this challenge. And they're like, you, you can, again, you can say they've gone up there and they've explored and experimented and put stuff out there. But, like, to say that they've turned it into a battlefield already is just, it's absolutely inaccurate. It's It's an alternative fact. It's completely ludicrous. It's fake news is what it is. It's insane. It's insane. And the amount of money that we are about to spend on creating space balls in 2018 (laughs) is insane. I heard that Ivanka is going to um, design the Space Force suits. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're going to be very, very fashionable, wonderful. Uh, she actually shut down her line so that right. she could create the Space Force She's line. making Space Force suits. Like, oh, God. Oh, God. It, it's like, I, I'm reminded of Barack Obama's old saying, which is not his saying, but it's one that he used often. Uh, oftentimes, you need a scalpel instead of a hatchet. And, like, again, you could thread that needle. We're going to allocate X million of dollars to build these planes. Like, there's already one plane that's essentially like a glorified space pi- space spy plane that could get out of the atmosphere and still have the technology to uh, uh, spy on other countries, all this stuff. Like, and, and, like, okay, cool. Cool. I, I Whatever. Like, I... I don't love the idea, but you could sell me on that. But this idea that we're going to send troops, troops in space. Like, we're going to go up there, we're going to fight? I don't think they really understand the issue. By the way, in case you think I'm wrong, Mad Dog Mattis, General Mattis, our Secretary of Defense, the excuse me, one of the grown-ups in the room, According to everybody who uh, covers the Trump administration, um, um, uh, he actually commented on it yesterday. It's on par with the air, land, sea, and cyberspace domains in terms of it being contested. And it's now a domain in which must, we must be equally prepared as all of those other domains. It's no longer a new domain. It's a domain. <laughs> now, if I understand him saying he said something about domains. He started to get almost frothy sounding at the end, like started to speak faster. He's like, it is a domain. It already is a domain. Domain, 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 domain. domain. I mean, these guys are so horny for war. They want they want more. We can't fight enough wars on this planet. We got to go fight out in space. And by the way, yesterday, the Trump campaign, I don't know if you saw this. 
they sent an email out to all of their supporters with all of the proposed logos for Space Force, and it looks like it looks. It might as well say Space Camp. They're campy, kitschy, old 1970s to infinity and beyond type. Like one has Buzz Lightyear in the middle. It might as well. It might as well have Buzz friggin' Lightyear. <laughs> folks, folks, I'd like to announce and my a new good old American cowboy, new, Woody. Yeah, my new Secretary of Space Force, folks. It's Buzz Lightyear. Who better? He came from space. He came here, folks. He knows both worlds. He knows both domains. What on earth are we doing? I mean, it's crazy. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. And, like, I'm going to move on. I'm just going to move on. I'm just going to move on. I think if I have to spend any more time explaining why this is stupid, I'm going to lose my mind. Like, I don't trust the Trump administration, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, the big boy in the room, General Mattis, whoever. I don't trust any of these guys, any of these goblins, to do anything, much less take us to war in space. No. Full stop, no. I have no interest in that. Thank you very much, sir. Taking your comments uh, on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Ray, before we got started. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just like the funniest thing in the world. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And again, like, I, I, I feel like I have to keep saying this, but like, establishing some sort of presence in space, fine. But they're completely missing the point. They're skipping over the part <laughs> of, like, it's like people who who uh, study martial arts, right? The one thing you never want to do is actually have to use it, right? Like, yes, have a space force. Show that we can get up there and we can fight if we want to, but why are these guys so thirsty to have a war in space? Before we got started with the show, I talked about a um, a woman who is 67 years old who had IVF to get pregnant with twins at 67. In defiance of God's will, she is pregnant with twins. And we asked for your uh, comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, my man Romaine in Chicago, we often read comments from Romaine. He says, I just had this conversation with my mother. My son is two. She asked me what I would do 15 years from now when he turns 17. I freaked out because uh, I'd still be 59. To say the least, I was a little overwhelmed. 59? That's okay. I mean, for a 13-year-old, that's okay. I, I, I'm not... I'm not freaked out at the idea of like 40 year olds having kids no that, 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 that's not that but i think that to go from 40 to 67 again when your children because they're twins when your children turn 13 when you have teenagers you're going to be 80 years old like i think that that's also taking a really giant leap and taking some things for granted uh Twin pregnancy is already super high risk, no matter your age, no matter the health status of the woman. Um, but to have a twin pregnancy when you are nearly 70 years old puts these children at extreme, extreme yeah. risk. Puts everybody at risk. As, as infants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean. Like, who knows if they'll make it to 13 is what I'm saying. I, I, I know I don't have to tell you this, Ray. Being a new mother, kind of exhausting. Oh, my gosh. Kind of exhausting. Can I tell you that I got, like, four hours of sleep last night because yeah. molars are coming in, yeah. and it's no joke. And, it, it, like, by the way, it, like, it, this will eventually get better, having been through this. But, like, 
you're a year in. You're over a year in. And, like, that's – I would – I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'd venture to guess that's the most exhausting year of your life. I'd say so. Okay. Imagine doing that at the age of 68 or no. 67. No. Imagine doing that at the age of 67. I can't even imagine having twins now. No! God uh, bless twin mothers out f- there and fathers. F- yeah. Um, Phil brings up a good point, which you brought up right before you went to break. I didn't get a chance to really uh, expand on it too much. But Phil says, I'm kind of with Peter on the 67-year-old mom issue, but I also think there's a double standard for old fathers. Um, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. I, I, I do agree with that. I think that like if you're a father that's 67. Does she have a 20-year-old husband we don't know I about? don't know. I, 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 the- I hope so. I hope that's the missing puzzle piece <laughs> of this story. Hey, go ahead, girl. Go on. Go get it. Whatever. Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, like, there have been countless stories of, like, I think it was to- uh, Tony Randall, I think, had kids when he was, like, 80? Again, you should not be having children when you're 80. But, but I, I did say it's kind of different for dads in the sense that it presents a, a complicated health risk for the mother and the children because she's carrying them. But I still think... If you're a 67-year-old dad, you should not be having kids. Okay, also, just sneaking this in there, the most current research suggests that although men, when old, very old, can still impregnate a woman. Sure. That uh, Again, in defiance of God's will. <laughs> there is increasing mounting evidence that um, sperm of an older man is not equivalent to the sperm of a younger man in that it may predispose the child to other health sure. um, problems and mental health problems in their future. Folks, if you're 67 years old, male, female, I don't care, you shouldn't have kids. I don't think you should have kids. I just don't think you should have kids. I think having kids is the biggest responsibility you're you're ever going to take on. And should you take the biggest responsibility of your life on when you are a retiree? No. That's that. That's my stance. I think that it's a different discussion. Should she have adopted a kid? I don't disagree with that, but I also think that like if she adopted a sixty-seven at sixty-seven, if she adopted a newborn child. Again, you're not going to be the best parent that you can be. I agree, but there are lots of grandparents, for example, who take on the role of parent to their grandchild. And I think that the children grow up with a really lovely, fulfilling parental relationship. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Not every time. Not every time, but sometimes. If she has the desire to do that, I don't know. I just... I hope that she's okay. I hope the babies are okay. okay. I hope the kids are okay. But I also I hope the doctors are able to guide her through this process. But I also think at the end of the day, this is fairly irresponsible on all, like on all parts. Doctor Wise, agree. Okay. All right. So uh, if you have any more comments on that, find us on Twitter at BP Show or at uh, Peter Ogburn. Uh, You can uh, you can chime in there. By the way, uh, we're going to talk about the big uh, unite the right. racist, white nationalist, white, whatever you want to call them, bad, bad folks coming to D.C. this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But I do want to talk about a couple of other things. Um, last night, the NFL kicked back off its preseason stuff, right? It's, so it's not, it's not actual games. Uh, but the NFL kicked back off. And lo and behold, there were some protests. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the current reigning world champions, uh, they uh, took the field last night, and Malcolm Jenkins came out with cornerback cor- uh, Devontae Bowlesby. They both came out, uh, raised their fists during the national anthem. Now, 
It's not taking a knee. So we'll see if our big boy president loses his mind over it. Spoiler alert, he probably will. Uh, these are both two men of color um, who continue to protest uh, the injustice uh, here in America. They were also uh, wearing shirts that had statistics of um, black incarceration here in this country, which is wildly, I mean, spoiler alert, wildly disproportionate to uh, uh, white people uh, that get locked up in this country. So Malcolm Jenkins uh, came out, raised fist, gave his, uh, his protest again. So time will tell. We'll just see if our big boy, if our sweet big wet president, wakes up and grabs the phone and starts tweeting about uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. So uh, we will see about that. Also, we've talked about uh, some of the midterms, and we've talked about Chris Kobach, who is who is Donald Trump, only more polished and a little bit smarter, wilier. In other words, he's just as racist. He's just as homophobic. He's just as hell-bent on keeping even legal immigrants out of this country, except he does it with a smile, and he's a lot more polished about how he does it. These, I mean, it's like the devil is not going to come to you with horns and a pitchfork. The devil is going to come to you in a well-tailored suit and a really sharp smile, and that's who Chris Kobach is. So he's been locked in this. Uh, we, we, we had the vote earlier this week on Tuesday. Uh, yesterday we were telling you the vote count is now 191 is what separates them. 191. Except here's the problem. As you know, in most states, the electoral process is run by the Secretary of State. Chris Kobach happens to be the Secretary of State in Kansas. So he is in charge of the vote count. Well... There have been some discrepancies in the vote count in Kansas. <gasps> Gasp. I'm going to read directly from CNN because Chris Kobach went on uh, Cuomo's, uh, uh, prime time, Chris Cuomo's primetime show last night where he says he is going to recuse himself now after these discrepancies surfaced because his opponent, uh, 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 Governor Collier, called on him to uh, recuse himself. But he says... On Chris Cuomo's show last night, quote, yeah, we'll be formally answering his request tomorrow, but I'm going to give you a heads up. I will be happy to recuse myself. But as I say, it really doesn't make any difference. It's purely symbolic. I don't think he understands the process. End quote. That is from Chris Kobach. Here's what they found in Kansas. And I'm reading directly from CNN because they had the write up from the Chris uh, Cuomo thing. Uh, the race between Kobach and Collier for the GOP gubernatorial nomination remains too close to call with 311,000 votes tallied and more than 10,000 absentee and provisional ballots left to count, meaning the race will not be settled for several days. One discrepancy was with the results in Thomas County, where County Clerk Shelley, uh, Shelley Hams said Collier got 522 votes, not the 422 votes he was listed as having on the Secretary of State's website. So, just to break that down in case you missed it, Chris Kobach is the Secretary of State. On the official vote count on the Secretary of State's website, they showed that Governor Collier, Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State's opponent, received 422 votes in this particular county, Thomas County. 
The county clerk said, uh, actually, it was 522 votes, not 422 votes. Now, like, look, 100 votes in a race that's the difference is 191 votes? Folks, he just cut that lead in half. Does anyone remember Virginia's contested district when it comes down to it? Every vote matters, people. Every single vote matters. Uh, Shelly Ham's the, uh, I'm sorry, the Tarms. I was reading that wrong. Shelly Ham's sounds like a lovely lady. I like Shelly Shelly Ham's a great name. Uh, I I, I can't say, I was misreading. It's Shelly Harms. Shelly Harms. She told CNN that she faxed the Secretary of State's office on election night, listing Collier's total as 522, and that the Secretary of State's website, again, Chris Kobach, the opponent, did not update that. And by the way, that's just one of the problems. Chris Kobach chalked it up to, quote, keystroke errors. Hmm. How convenient. How convenient that the Secretary of State, who also happens to be the candidate had a keystroke error that took away a hundred votes from his opponent when the race literally is 191 votes or was 191 votes before this discrepancy came to light. So let's say you give those hundred votes back to Collier. That's a 91, 91 votes in the entire state of Kansas is what currently separates these folks. And there are more discrepancies coming forward. I'm just saying We've got some problems here with our free and fair democracy in America. And it's always been the case, but we're looking at it straight in the eyes right now between what happened in 2016 with the Russian interference and what a an elect I mean it blows my mind that the Secretary of State who runs the elections can run for higher office but still be in charge of the electoral process, especially someone who has as few scruples and has as many scandals and behavior as Chris Kobach. Chris Kobach is the guy who said and told Donald Trump, put that nasty little bug in his ear, that three to five million people voted illegally. If anybody knows how to sway a vote count in this country, it's Chris Kobach. And he has the power to change his own vote. We should be freaking out about this. Here's another thing we should be freaking out about, Kobach. We just had our friend Addie Baird on earlier this week. She wrote a great piece over at Think Progress, so you can find it there, um, about how... Or was it? No, no, no. It was Rebecca Entralgo. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Also, think progress. Yeah, yeah, Rebecca yeah. Entralgo wrote um, that he has three openly identifying white supremacists on his campaign yeah. team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like. It's amazing. It's amazingly in your face, like, how blatant all of this is. Uh, that is not good news for the democracy. I do have some good news for the democracy. Yes, let's end on a good note here. You know me. I'm, I'm usually pretty depressing. I'm usually, <laughs> I, I think you could say I'm sort of a black cloud hanging over the news day most of the time. But um, yesterday was the four-year anniversary of the shooting of Michael Brown outside St. Louis. Uh, we talked about the election results on Tuesday. One of the things that we did not talk about was a man by the name of Bob McCullough. 
Robert McCullough. You might remember Robert McCullough. About four years ago, well, less than four years ago now, he was the uh, prosecutor who refused to bring charges against uh, the officer that shot and killed Michael Brown. Uh, He was a prosecutor in St. Louis County, Missouri. On Tuesday, he was voted out of office, which is good news. Is good, good news. news. Uh, look, it's not it's not the best news in the world, but like we'll take a we'll take a win, we'll take a win. And I, you know, I don't know much about the person that replaced him, but this guy completely uh, did not do his job. Did not. I mean, we couldn't even get this to a grand jury. As what, what's the old saying? You can um, you, you can uh, bring a ham sandwich up in front of a grand. Like you could get that. Like you could get a grand jury fairly easily. What happens after that? Who knows? But this guy wouldn't even bring it up. Uh, so he is he is out. He is out. So sometimes the electorate works. Sometimes. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Presse. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break. Speaking of white nationalists like Chris Kobach and members on his team, we here in Washington, D.C., buddy, we're about to get a an influx of, uh, of white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, call them what you want to call them, but they're coming here to Washington, D.C. We're going to get some details from uh, Brittany Shepard, from Washingtonian Magazine. She joins us in the next segment here on the Bill Press Show. Stay tuned. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. I am not Bill Press. I am Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill today. Uh, I appreciate you all tuning in. Don't forget to check out our podcast. Uh, We'll put the show up, today's show, right after today's program, uh, but then we also have weekend programming that goes up tomorrow. Uh, we had a segment on summer cocktails that will be going up this weekend. Yeah, 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 Ooh. yeah. It's it, funny story. I'll just I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. We had someone come in who was going to make us cocktails, but then their bottle of gin broke in the Uber on the way over here, and so we did not drink. But we still talked about all of our favorite summer cocktails. Okay, that's a modern tragedy. It. I mean, who do you feel the worst for, the Uber driver or our guests who lost, and ourselves, who or lost the us who didn't get to yeah. drink at nine in the morning? I think everyone is a lose lose situation. Everyone is lose, suffering lose. here. It's lose lose lose. All, nobody wins. No. Nobody wins. But we talked about you know summer rum drinks, gin. I'm a bourbon guy. When the weather is below sixty five degrees, mm-hmm. can't drink bourbon in the summer. Just not going to do it. Uh, but we have a whole conversation about that uh, with a really, really great mixologist and someone who really knows what he's talking about. So check that out. It's going to go up tomorrow. Uh, if you're subscribed to the podcast and iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, we'll have it up there for you. Uh, again, my name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. I'm joined by staff writer at The Washingtonian. Her name is Brittany Shepard. You can follow her on Twitter at BLR Shepard. Is that right? Yes, it is. All right. Uh, make sure you follow her on Twitter. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for coming Good in. Good morning. I am waking up right with you. Okay. Well, um, I, I, I hate to wake you up with such um, a, a, a nasty topic as white supremacists, but it was a year ago that the Charlottesville Unite the Right happened, a rally happened, and we remember how that went. It did not go well. Uh, there was a young woman who was killed 
Uh, Heather Heyer was killed in that um, in that in the days at, like around the Unite the Right thing in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. But they're coming here to Washington D.C. These white supremacists. Yes, they are coming to town. The boys are back in town. The this time, the boys are neo Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Not a great version of that song. No, no I, the remix was not a great, uh, not a good, not a great choice. Not my favorite cover. So they, so they just to, just to be clear, so they've got permits. They do. They are complete in their legal right to protest on the National Mall. Um, yes, and in front of the White House is really where you're going to see most of the action in Lafayette. Park. Oh, interesting. Yes. Why the White House? Because they have a friend there, it seems. That's well, what I'm going to say. Is this a protest or a celebration? Yeah. What is this? Like, that seems odd, but but why would, would do they give any reason why it would be at the White House? Well, I, I just assume that it's such a figurehead and these people want to be seen, sure. and that's a place to cause a racket and be seen, especially when you don't have a lot of numbers. The mall is so spacious that you need thousands and thousands of people to fill it to really make a mark, and the White House lawn is not so... So we were just talking about this off air. If I had to guess, I would guess that there would be not a ton of of actual white supremacists showing up for this. I think your guess is quite fair on the permit that Kessler put down for the National Park Service. We're looking at around 400 people. Okay. So it's not this like mag magnum gathering that people are maybe anticipating that could have happened in Charlottesville because there was no real planning. It was just everybody show up. I mean, look, a, a, a gathering of more than one <laughs> Nazi is too many. I would say I, so. I, I don't want to sound too optimistic. <laughs> they like, oh, we're only going to have 200 Nazis come to town. <laughs> but if I had to guess, I, that, that's what I would be. Because here in D.C., like, I've already talked to a couple people who are like, having parties to make signs tonight. Mm-hmm. There are a couple people who just want to go like crack some neo-Nazi skulls who are just going down looking for some action. Right. And I think the counter-protesters will greatly outnumber the actual white oh, supremacists. absolutely. By double or triple. If there are maybe, I was reading about four or five counter-protests scheduled and then think of all the unscheduled, in the mo- heat of the moment things yeah. are going to happen and they start today. Vigils start today. Then they go into tomorrow and Sunday. You know, we have Black Lives Matter, anti-fascists, DSA, you know, people who can really bring out the numbers. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see who actually shows up on Sunday. And I think that's the way you've got to confront this. I mean, it, look, I, I'm a First Amendment guy. Whether or not these these white nationalists have a right to assemble and protest these hate views, we can have that conversation. Sure. But the way that you meet that is with louder, stronger voices. Mm. I want them to have a very, very, very difficult time showing their faces after this rally. That might be possibly what you know ends up happening. It, it's going to be really interesting. There is this argument that don't go on Sunday because you don't. We don't want to give them press. We don't give them airtime. I've had commenters and readers kind of like lash out at my stories about white supremacy in D.C. because they think I'm just giving them a space. To be acknowledged. So I think that's a really interesting thing that's going on, too. No, I, I mean, look, I, I've heard that from people, too, right. right? Like, if you acknowledge them, then, like, you're somehow giving them a platform. And I just c- completely disagree Yeah, I, that. I think I they're out there. You have got to acknowledge it. You've got to confront it. And, like, look, the, the Charlottesville protests, uh, there were I, – I, I remember reading several stories about people that lost their jobs. Yeah. Crummy River. Yeah, right? but yeah. Like, they lost their jobs. And that's what should happen. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're willing to go out there and put your name and face in front of this 
cause of white nationalism, uh, Nazis, neo Nazism. I use the term to... Nazi in my Na- copy. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, all right. Th- I kind of wanted to ask you about that yeah. too, because there are some people who like white nationalism doesn't sound nearly as bad as Nazis. Weirdly enough, <laughs> white nationalism <laughs> sounds pretty bad. Yeah, there's like a sliding scale. So yeah. like I kind of I start out with white nationalists and I go to white supremacists and then you know like baked Alaska's in it. Like I think I can safely <laughs> yeah. say yeah. you know yes. neo Nazi or Nazism. So I kind of go with my gut. What's that guy up to anymore? Um, Because he got banned from Twitter and YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's, uh, I don't know, uh, crying somewhere maybe, (laughs) plotting lots of, uh, plays Fortnite. I don't know what the kids do these days. (laughs) He cries a lot. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. But, you know, as far as banning is concerned, you know, I've been talking to Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and all these rideshare programs and sharing economy companies, and they're really big on if users and hosts want to kick out white supremacists go for it they can ban nazis too i love it so, so it's been really interesting to see companies not waffle or like things that twitter's been doing like jack that you know there's both sides to the argument that's been all in the news lately but uber and lyft and airbnb say you know the power is within our hosts and our users are a private company and we won't tolerate this kind of rhetoric anymore it's it's such an interesting time for mm-hmm. for free speech right like right. a lot of these guys are hiding behind free speech um, but like, look, like let's talk like, like the Alex Jones stuff. Sure, right? he's gotten kicked off of a lot of places. Twitter still welcomes him with open arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's gotten kicked off of YouTube, Spotify, Facebook. I think kicked him off as well. Yeah, Apple said no more. We're not going to host your podcasts anymore. And so, like, again, I'm a free speech guy. And so uh, it's sort of tough, but at the end of the day, like these are private companies, and you mm-hmm. are not guaranteed a right to have a platform on someone else's product. Yeah, not at all. And and Twitter, Twitter's reaction has been really interesting because there's so much community building and mobilization that happens yeah. on Twitter that is so um, anti-white supremacist and anti-Nazism. I would think that Twitter would be the first one to pull the plug on, you know people calling kids crisis actors and Alex Jones types, but they haven't. They're standing with him. And here we are. Yeah. yeah here we are. I mean, just to just to speak to the First Amendment folks for a moment, mm-hmm. if, and I won't, but if, <laughs> if I was to go to this Unite the Right rally sure. and put my face out there and talk about white supremacy as if it was a good thing, the Bill Press show is well within their right to fire my ass mm-hmm. because that is how I mean that's just how it works. Right. You like you can't go out there and say what you can go out there and say these things, but you can't do them without consequence. Like you are not entitled to say what you want to say without consequence. Yeah, and I think that's the the big sticking point for this weekend to see what really happens. Like David Duke is going to be there, so if you're in a photo or if an Instagram story a boomerang with David Duke, your company can you know yeah. fire you. I'm still like completely befuddled. Mm-hmm. David Duke was a bad, bad guy back when I was a kid a million <laughs> years ago. Like I remember hearing about David Duke when I was like a teenager and then he was like a bad guy. <laughs> I think even journalists you can open up like bad guy dictionary. Yeah. And, you know, David Duke, you know, Grand Wizard of the KKK. Yeah. Generally be like, yeah, you know, we're out. Yeah, we're yeah, out yeah, we're yeah. out on that. Yeah, I don't need a rehabilitation <laughs> of David Duke. But like here we are twenty five years later. Mm-hmm. 
And he's more relevant now than ever. The David Duke forgiveness tour. He is just oh, trying to, like, oh, he's God. getting positive PR. Yeah. It, it, it's really interesting to see who's going to be mingling, mixing and mingling with David Duke on Sunday. So let me just ask you a, a journalistic question. Of course. Uh, and this gets back to sort of what we were talking about, about whether or not you're giving them a platform or, or, or all of that. Um, by highlighting people like David Duke, that he's still a relatively relevant figure, mm. Uh, and by highlighting these these folks, um, how do you sort of thread the needle between giving them a platform and just pointing out, like, these are bad guys? That's a really good question. It's something that I kind of think about and struggle with intellectually as, sure. a, as a journalist. Sure. I think there's a tendency to glamorize uh, white supremacists or neo-Nazis, you know, that whole New York Times controversy, there's like the neo-Nazi next door. Yeah. I'm trying to tread away from things like that. So when I'm reporting, I try not to be like, wow, how bizarre these creatures are, you know? Yeah, I think yeah. normalizing the language really helps journalists because then you can just stick to the facts and stick to maybe interesting parts of their personality and see how they navigate among, you know, less radicalized peers. That's the story. Uh, I want to read a, a tweet that I just got in from Marsha Sherman uh, that says, Peter, if only 400 white supremacists were going to show up tomorrow, why go down there and make it look like 4,000? I say there should be no one but the white supremacists showing up. It will only cause a bunch of people to get injured or worse. Mm. Um, I disagree with that. I, I think that, like, first of all, if a bunch of people get injured or worse and they're white supremacists, I don't feel too bad about that. I just don't feel too bad about it. I mean, if you go down there and you talk about, you know, how you're white and that makes you superior and, and you you catch a hot one mm -hmm. from somebody who doesn't want to hear that, I don't feel bad for you. Again, it gets back to free speech. Right. You're allowed to say these things, but you are not entitled to not get your ass kicked because you said it. Um, and also, I think it's important to show that, like, yes, white supremacy exists, clearly. <laughs> We have a white supremacist that leads the country. But also, like, there is a pushback, and the pushback is bigger, louder, stronger. Yeah, and I was speaking to a bunch of protesters and how they're gearing up for this weekend, and they're saying the same thing. Like, regardless of the numbers on the white supremacist side, they want to show that they're here and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. There's even a counter-protest called, like, the real white allies happening on Sunday of, like, nice white folk like that's the brand Aww, yeah nice. i think in the in the event description is like mayo and tubas are great and like we want everyone to know and it, i i was reading that on the way here and i was like yes. huh wow yeah america is a wild place we're gonna bring all the greatest of white american culture well that's that's legitimately their pitch and then they're gonna be uh marching alongside like black lives matter everything's happening in freedom plaza it looks an amalgam of, of things but the, they're going to be out there too, and I think that that's really the the heart of it, right? It's yeah. like there are these answers to hate, <laughs> and some of that's with tubas, I guess. White pride, we are here for mayo and tubas. Yeah, it's like yes, the positive white supremacy, I suppose. Yeah, come on over, we're serving cucumber sandwiches over here. Come on, <laughs> with, all with, the casseroles with, you can want <laughs> with Duke's mayonnaise and Wonder Bread. Come on over. <laughs> um, so. I, You've written about how Uber and Airbnb uh, have said, you you don't have to support these guys. Uh, 
if you're an Uber driver and you get a white supremacist in your car, you can kick him out. Yes. If you're an Airbnb host and you get a white supremacist in your space, you can kick him out. However, DC Metro mm. has taken a different approach. Can we talk about that? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very interesting that the Metro is going to allow an entire car, like an entire train to be neo-Nazi friendly, neo-Nazi only, the neo-Nazi line <laughs> shipping yeah. all the way in from Vienna. It's like reminiscent of the old segregation days. Like, yeah. Whites over here, blacks over here. White supremacists, you get your own special train. Yeah. And I, I'm happy to see it, you know, be shot down at the end because yeah. even Metro thumbs upping that would cause riots, I think, bigger than we would see on Sunday. The government would have a lot of yeah. uh, mess on their hands. Uh, Ray, I want to play the last clip from uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, uh, because she, yesterday she had a, a press conference and talked about it, mm-hmm. uh, along with uh, the D.C. Metro Police Chief, uh, and, and her word is basically like, we're taking it very, very seriously. We, the people of Washington, D.C., say unequivocally that we denounce hate, we denounce, we denounce anti-Semitism, and we denounce uh, the rhetoric that we expect to hear this Sunday. So very, very strong from Mayor Bowser. And then the final clip, the very last clip that we played uh, was, uh, that I want to play is the uh, resources, the all available resources that they're throwing at the problem. I'm making available every uh, uh, resource, public safety, uh, traffic and management, uh, and public works to ensure that we have safe events. So how is the uh, the city of Washington, D.C. handling this? Are they doing a good job? Um, I am curious how it will play on Sunday. I don't think I could say good or bad right now, sure, but there sure. certainly are a lot of police expected to show up on Sunday. As far as resources come to law enforcement, uh, protecting, I would say, I hate to use this term, both sides of this argument. Every, They're very fine people. Yeah. <laughs> the, sorry, yeah. sorry, I had to, but no, go ahead. Uh, uh, another anniversary. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, but the city will be throwing at least all of its law enforcement resources behind all of this. I, I think the metro will be quite a mess. I'm not sure how transportation is going to play out. We have buses and trains full of both cosplayers and neo-Nazis. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. There's an anime convention in town. One on of the, the same biggest. Day. One of the biggest anime conventions in the country. Yeah. Happening on the same day as the white supremacist rally. I just adore that so much because the crowd, the numbers for the anime convention will surely dwarf. Oh, Yes. The white supremacists. I mean, the white suprem- I mean, the, the anime convention is going to happen at the, the convention center, which is gigantic. Tenfold. Yeah. The, the white supremacist rally is 400 people at most. I love that they're, that these two events are coinciding, like this massive outpouring of love for something that America has sort of adopted yeah. that comes from Japan. Yeah. It's just so yes. utterly American and beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, anime's not ours. No, not at, at all. all. The biggest cultural, one of the biggest cultural imports of totally like, our time. It reminds me of like there was one like Trump supporter rally. This was like a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, and it just happened to coincide with a big Juggalo rally. In I remember, remember that. that. I remember that. So you had like all these MAGA chuds walking around with their red hats, and then Juggalos who are now rebranded as like cool, hip, peaceful people. Juggalos are cool. Juggalos yeah. are actually cool. Juggalo. I mean, look, it's not for me. <laughs> But juggalos are actually cool. I mean, they like they just want to have a good time. Yeah. They just want to do the drugs. They just want to listen to their terrible music. But like they're not 
They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to, they just want to juggle. Though it's I don't know what the verb t- is for juggling. They just want to, yeah, they just want to. Yeah, they want to juggle out. Yeah, just t- t- totally juggle out. There's a great uh, short film that's on the internet called American Juggalo. It's like mm-hmm. ten minutes. It's honest to God, it's ten minutes long. Might be my favorite movie of all time. I have to watch it's it. It's amazing. Broadly also did a really good one on female juggalos. Oh, ju- oh. Yeah. oh by the way, they're called juggalettes. Juggalettes. I, I know this. I know this. They're oh. called juggalettes. They're wow. called juggalettes. I have to consider a career change. <laughs> Professional juggalette. No, you can do both. You can be a journalist and a juggalette. <laughs> I won't let Don't put me, me into a corner. I could be both. <laughs> that You know what? In today's day and age, why don't we have more juggalo journalists? <laughs> That's my next Juggalists. <laughs> Folks. I'll see, we'll see one in the White House press corps. I'll pass it around. Thank you. Please do. Um, okay, so bottom line, in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, who knows what's going to happen? Right. Again, I think we agree. It's not going to be a huge uh, group of Nazis that are going to be here in D.C. The counter-protest will dwarf those numbers. Absolutely. Um, but we, we we only have a couple minutes left, but I'm so glad you wrote about this because we have not talked about this on the show yet. And this got me so angry when I saw it. Mm-hmm. The museum, which yeah. is a great museum here in Washington, D.C. I love it. Uh, they have a great gift shop too. They do. It's a cool. It's genuinely a cool gift shop. And they have a a lot of different kinds of paraphernalia in there. Ah yes. But they have a new piece of paraphernalia that yes, you wrote about. Tell us all about it, Brittany. Okay, so there's actually a couple T-shirts, but what really captured people's attention was this uh, T-shirt that said, You are fake news. And it caused a lot of ire, obviously, because the president has been saying for, for the better half of two years now that the press is the enemy of the people. There's so much discursive rhetoric. You know, reporters feel like that their lives are threatening. You know, people are saying CNN, we have to murder CNN reporters. Like, it's not cute. It's not good. And something as a stalwart institution, this museum, is now selling shirts that kind of promote this negative idea and this negative feeling towards journalists, which doesn't really quite make sense. It's like right across the hall from the Pulitzer, like, photos. Like, they have so many moving exhibits at the museum. Uh, I'm thinking of one in particular about all the journalists that were killed Mm -hmm. or injured. In the line of duty, whether you're going to cover war or riots or whatever, they have a wall. Yes. Of journalists that died doing their jobs. And it grows. It's a growing, yeah. it's a live wall. It's, it's a live wall. And they have um, a, a very moving exhibit where there's the car. Uh, and I, I forget which which journalist was in it, but it was like it was attacked mm-hmm. while they were trying to report and do their job, and the journalist died. And it's just a, a, a car that's completely ravaged by bullets. And their whole... Like, if they stand for anything at the museum, it's like journalism is no joke. It is very, very important, vital to democracy. And they're now they're making money off of this whole fake news canard that Donald Trump keeps pushing. It's grotesque. Yeah, and it made me a bit uncomfortable. So I, I, me and my editor, we walked through the the gift shop to really see because this this was selling online, and that's where like the hoopla mm. was. I'm like, okay, but they're actually selling it in store. Ugh. Short answer is yes, they are, and they have a lot of stock. And it was like that an alternative facts T shirt. Uh, like, oh, <laughs> that almost makes me even angrier. And listen to this: what was I noticed that it was a women's cut shirt, and the fake news was like a a men's cut shirt. 
and they were being sold together. And I was like, what couple is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah who, who are these the folks? The world's worst couple. And I was like, is this where we're trying to make money off of? Like, sell a novelty, like, microphone that says, like, extra, extra, read all about it. There are so many things. There's even the yeah. Melania jacket. They have, like, a fake T-shirt with, like, we really do care, do you? Make money there. <laughs> yeah. Don't make money on the fake news the, shirts. Especially when your whole point, your whole existence is about how important the free and fair press is. It, yeah, it, I mean, it, what's really touching about the museum, I don't know if all the stars have been, but there's a whole 9-11 exhibit yeah. just to the reporters who like, died in the line of duty there. Yeah. And then you go four floors down, it's like, you're fake news, and like you can buy this, and we can profit off of it, and journalists get none of this kickback. So... It boggles my mind. I'm still sitting here, you know, wondering why. But the museum, I believe, has pulled the shirt off their website. Okay. All right. That's how this story ends. I like that they pulled it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I want to support the museum. I think it's very cool and good that we have it. And it's especially such a prominent place here in Washington, D.C. I think they do a very, very good job. So I'm glad that they're not selling the fake news shirts anymore. Uh, Brittany Shepard, thank you so much. Are you going to be down around the rallies at all this weekend? Yeah, you can spot me on Sunday. I'll be running around trying to figure out what's even going to be happening. Please be safe. Thank you. Uh, be careful out there. Uh, I, I love your reporting so far on this, so please come back and give us an update uh, after this rally happens. Will do. All right, Brittany Shepard, she is from Washingtonian. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very, very quick break. My name is Peter Ogburn. We will be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill Press today. I thank you all so very much for being here with us. What a uh, what a crazy news day. I just, you know, there's just so much going on. Um, we talked Space Force yesterday, uh, earlier in the hour. We talked about how the NFL is back. Talked about a lot of different things. By the way, I um I, I got a comment on Twitter and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That I'm looking very tan. Uh yeah, I I was at a baseball game yesterday. It was a day game yesterday. I went and checked it out. I got a little sun. I got a little sun. It's summertime, man. And I tan remarkably well for a man of my complexion. You think you look at me, you think, oh, that guy can't tan, he just sunburns. I get one sunburn. One sunburn at the beginning of summer, and then after that, it's tan city, baby. Tan city. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, let's talk really quickly about your comments on Twitter because we've gotten a couple of them. We were just talking about the white supremacist rally that is happening here in Washington, D.C. Um, first of all, our friend Holly Tooker says, yeah, the museum has withdrawn the fake news T-shirts. Yes, they have. Uh, that, is, uh, that is definitely a good thing, I think. 
On the white supremacist rally, Chris Higgins says First Amendment only protects people from the government from restricting speech. It does not mean that there are no consequences for what you say. Yes, exactly. That's that's sort of my point. Like, can you, can I go to a white supremacist rally and spew hatred and white supremacy and all of this stuff? Yes, I can. If that's something that my heart desires, I can do that. But if I'm caught on camera saying these hateful things and it gets back to my employer and my employer says, um, no, we actually don't want to employ a white supremacist. I have, they have no obligation to keep me on. No obligation to keep me on. Zero. They can fire you for things that are a lot less egregious than being a white supremacist. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. So uh, spare me the uh, the talk about, you know, uh, free speech, free speech, this and that. Um, again, we have another comment about uh, from Marsha who says that, like, going down there to counter protest is not a good thing. That would be bad. It would make the crowd look bigger. Uh, I, I, I hear the logic in that. I just disagree. I think that I like, squarely disagree. As yeah, well. I, I really disagree, and it's not it's not a crazy argument, but I just disagree with it. I think that like you've got to meet these folks head on. If you ignore it and you make it easy for them to assemble and easy for them to come out and talk about this stuff, let's say they get two hundred people. Next time they might have four hundred people. Next time after that they might have eight hundred, then sixteen hundred, then thirty two hundred, and it's just going to grow. And grow and grow. You have to make it very, very hard for terrible people to be terrible publicly. I agree. And for every time that a lie is spouted on a public platform, like the National Mall where it's going to get coverage, I think that it is important to meet that with an equal and opposite force and saying like, Every time somebody says like white supremacy is okay, there needs to be somebody there saying white supremacy is not okay. Yes. I'm going to steal a line from Fox News that they stole from the uh, Fairness Doctrine. Fair and balanced. You get one white supremacist, let's have three people to knock them down. Exactly. Literally and figuratively. And this idea that uh, journalists shouldn't be covering it because it gives it being white supremacy because it gives it a platform. I would love to talk about this more because I have a lot of thoughts. I think that that is just so wrong. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah. But we're coming up on a break here. We're coming so. up on a break. So Unfortunately. If you have a comment for us uh, on Twitter, uh, find us on uh, on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We're checking your emails and your, or, or excuse me, your, your tweets all throughout the show. And if we can get them on air, we definitely, definitely will. So stay tuned to the Bill Press Show. My name is Peter Ogburn. I uh, am sitting in for Bill Press. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, friends. My name is Peter Ogburn. I'm sitting in for Bill Press today here as we begin the second hour of the program. So much to talk about. God, we've talked about Space Force already. We've talked about the white supremacist rally. I I, I want you to rally in air quotes. Yeah. 
coming to Washington, D.C. this weekend. A 67 year old woman being pregnant with twins and people are still commenting. We are still getting comments on the on the 67 year old woman who had IVF so that she could get pregnant and she got pregnant with twins, which I think is a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea. I think we've come to the consensus that it's a bad idea. Here is somebody weighing in in our YouTube chat room. Oh, excellent. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We have a lively chat going there during the entire show, so you also can weigh in. Excellent. We have uh, Meryl Ann Merkel, one of our frequent chatters, saying, Good morning, all. Cannot imagine having kids in my 60s. I can only deal with my grandkids for so long, and I'm not yet 68. Yeah. I mean, look, that's the thing. I mean, we talked about how grandparents sometimes raise their kids and it's sometimes out of necessity and that happens. Like, yeah, it happens. Full disclosure, my parents watched my nephews for half a year last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are, my parents were 67 at the time and it was tough, impossible. It wasn't just tough. I mean, granted, my parents were in a different situation, but, like, it was impossible. We had to, like, bring my aunt out to come and help. So you had three grown 60-plus adult humans taking care of two young children. It is impossible to do. And that's my point. And I don't want to take away anybody's choice of, like, whether or not they should or shouldn't. Like, I, I understand the desire to want to have a child. But I think that at some point you have to look and say, like, can I really actually be the best parent that I can be if I'm 80 years old? And, like, I got a teenager. I got to tell you, I've been a parent for 13 years. This 13-year-old child stuff, it is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) And I cannot imagine being 80 years old and having to deal with a teenager. I think back to when I was 13 and I was – Still am a good kid. I, um, yeah, I don't think you uh, like. No, but I, I still think that I made it either. hard on yeah. my parents. Yeah. I got into so many verbal like yelling matches with them, and I'm a good kid. I'm e. I was easy. I was like the straight A kid. Like it's yeah. tough. Yeah, I mean, even the most well adjusted 13 year old kids, like you, are going to have some fights with your parents, and some of them mm-hmm. are. Like blowouts. Fights that you yeah. will never forget. Yep. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're very, very, very scarring fights. And, like, 80 years old, I got to do that? I got to deal with that at 80? Oh, man. I mentioned we were on uh, Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Just a couple of quick comments. Um <laughs> this is, from two opposite ends of the spectrum. Chris says, uh, Peter, I love what you're on. You should have your own show, uh, just not the same time frame as Bill. Bless your heart. That's very sweet. Uh, and then another person says, uh, whenever this producer fills in for Bill, I'm reminded of just how good NPR is. Okay, so like, I appreciate the hate and the love. I'll take both of them. Also, somebody uh, tweeted at me about... Um, I talked about the Juggalos and how the Juggalos are just fairly peace-loving people. Uh, Somebody says, so Fish doesn't do it for you and you bash hippies but just can't stop loving a Juggalo? Fool, I hate you. I don't don't bash hippies. Fool, I hate you. I I hate you. Whoa. I I don't bash hippies. I actually, I, like, I agree with most of what hippies have to say. However, Get it together a little bit. I don't like Fish. I'll I'll die on that hill. Fish is a bad band. 
fish with a PH. They are a I, bad band. I might upset some people. I have never heard a fish song in my life. Oh, you lucky devil, you. You lucky devil, you. They're bad. I mean, they're a bad band. And I say this, by the way, this is not an uninformed opinion. I'm not going to go off on this whole tear about fish. I used to, in, like, I used to like fish. I went and saw, I've seen fish several times in concert do, in a former Does anybody life. really like fish, or do they just like the experience of going to a fish concert okay. and, like, all of the culture around that? I will say this. I liked fish. I liked the band fish. I listened to them in my car. I listen, like, I listen to them all the time. Like, musically... They were different and whatever. I was also 13, 14, 15, 16. In those period, like that, like I was into fish. True story. Two years ago, uh, I went to a music festival and I brought my kids with me because their two favorite bands were playing. Uh, my Morning Jacket is a great live band and Ween, who is very weird, but I love Ween. And my kids like Ween. But also on the bill was Fish. They were playing. So we camped out for four nights at this music festival to go watch music. And Fish played. And so I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to see. Maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I'm hating on Fish and maybe that's irresponsible. I should go see. And I went and saw him two years ago. And let me tell you, it's the worst music I've ever heard in my entire life. They were bad. And my child, my sweet young child, was watching them. And we've been watching them for like 20 minutes. And he goes, uh, are they going to play any other songs or just this one? And I was like, oh, no, they've played like four songs already. They just all sound the same. <laughs> and then he goes, I don't like this. It sounds like they have, there's a quote, it sounds like they have rubber bands on their guitars for strings. Made out of a tissue box. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, no, I don't like fish, but I also don't bash hippies. I don't hate hippies. You can like fish. Go like fish. I think they're bad, but, like, go. that's fine. You're not hurting anybody. I'm okay with that, just like the Juggalos and the Juggalettes. Are we clear on that now? <laughs> did I clear that up? Yeah, did that clear up? We'll pull this as a shorter clip, too. Uh, so one of the things I also wanted to talk about, um, uh, Elena Schneider from Politico was going to join us, but it appears as though she will not be able to be here today. Uh, but I want to jump into some of the takeaways from the midterm elections this week, because there have been a lot of different pieces written and a lot of analysis over, wow, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez really struck out with the midterms. She endorsed a couple of different candidates that did not win. And so now you have people who are sort of jumping and leaping on this thing of like, democratic socialism is dead. It didn't go anywhere. It's never going to go anywhere. It's not going to be a thing. I'm going to read directly from Bill Schur's piece in Politico. Uh, saying, quote, if you thought Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's -Cortez, upset primary win over Joe Crowley meant the Democratic Party was poised to go socialist, think again. Tuesday night's largely Midwest primaries produced a near shutout for the anti-establishment left. Ocasio-Cortez partnered with Bernie Sanders to make a series of splashy endorsements that in the end failed to clinch victories. And two leftist upstarts hoping to emulate Ocasio-Cortez and defeat longtime Democratic incumbents fell far short. Now, it is fair to point out that, yes, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsed a couple of candidates that did not win in the primaries. Does that mean that the movement is over? Does that mean that socialism is dead? I mean, it's like, 
It's amazing to me that we went generations of not even addressing or talking about socialism, democratic socialism. And then the last like couple of years, we had a brief conversation about it when Bernie Sanders ran for president. And I think we had a, in a lot of ways, a more serious conversation about it after AOC, Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won in New York over Joe Crowley. I think we had a more serious conversation about it then. And now all of a sudden in a period of, how long has it been since she won? Two months? And now it's dead? That's not how movements work. That's just not how this works. A few electoral losses are not really a huge setback for a movement, especially one that just now people are starting to learn about. And the other thing is, this this little this little pinhead Poindexter Ben Shapiro talking about I'll donate $10,000 to the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez campaign if she'll just debate me. All she has to do is come and debate me, which she shut it down and said, like, screw you, man. I don't have to answer to you, you little twerp. And so, like, there was a clip of her on The Daily Show a couple of weeks ago. And Trevor Noah asked her a fairly innocuous question. You you want all of these things. You you think that we should have universal health care. Uh, you think the kids should be able to go to school uh, and, and not have to spend their entire lives paying student debt. Like, you think that these are good things for this country, which, by the way, I do too. How are you going to pay for that? And she did not get – we'll own this. She did not give a great answer. It was not a great answer. But for her to have to stand up to this impossible scrutiny where you've got, hell, you've got four or five-term congressmen that would do an even worse job describing their own policies. Like, we've elected people who have no idea what they're doing, and they never have to answer for it. But, oh, all of a sudden we have a woman of color who happens to identify as a democratic socialist, and now we've got to give her the ultimate litmus test? Like, we have to, she has to be completely flawless and perfect and have the most wonderful packaged answer that any politician has ever given? It's BS. It's BS. And by the way, just a little advice. If you're asked a question, if you're running for office and you're asked a question about, oh, how are we going to pay for this? You know, the answer is we're a big country. We make a lot of money, right? We could pay for this. Taxes. We- yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we could tax the rich. MFR, we got money for a space force. We can certainly send our kids to school for free. We have millions of dollars to send our president to yeah. Mar-a-Lago yeah. every weekend. That's the we answer. We have the money. That's the answer. Don't get into a weird, wonky, misguided policy discussion a la Paul Ryan. Just say, you know what? We've got the money. We've got the money. Why don't we stop paying for other, like wars? Why don't we stop trying to fight wars in space? Why don't we stop putting more money in the into the military? Why don't we stop, as you said, sending our big boy president on vacation all the effing time? We've got the money. And by the way, we protect his adult children. Yeah, his large adult sons. 
and his daughter. And like, like, Ivanka Trump is flying all over the place as if she's first lady. It's like we have two first ladies. We got to take care of Melania Trump, and we got to take care of Ivanka Trump, and then we got to take care of 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 Donald Jr. and what, the the other one that looks like he's got Habsburg syndrome. What's his name? E- Eric Trump. Yep. Remember when Melania did not live in Washington D.C. and so yeah. we, the taxpayers, and New York State uh, specifically, was carrying the burden of protecting her in the middle of New York City in Trump Tower. Yeah. Guess where that money was coming from and where it was going to. Oh, we got money for that. But we don't have money to make sure that we have good, decent health care. To make sure that people have clean drinking water. I mean, what a bold, brash, crazy idea. And, like, you know what really drove this point home to me, I, I think? is there's This is – I'm not going to get too deep into NBA Twitter, but there is, like, a – a whole thing going on because there's a backlash. If you can believe this, there is a backlash against LeBron James because he unveiled his promise school, which is a revolutionary school. And there's remarkably, there's criticism because, hey, LeBron James is not paying for that school. The state is paying for 80% of that school. LeBron James is only paying 20%. And like, There's a lot of reasons why that's the case, by the way, because if you pay more than that 20%, then that means that it's a private school. It's no longer a state-funded school, which means you shut out a ton of people, and then you just, like, it excludes the people that he's trying to help. Duh. But also, just that extra 20%, look at how much more you can get for 20% more. 20% 20% more than what we're paying for our schools. Look at what you could get. These children have guaranteed admission into college. Guaranteed admission into college. They've got state-of-the-art learning facilities. They all get a bike. They all have amazing extracurricular activities. And if LeBron James can do that with one school, God damn it, we can do that as a country. We can spend just 20% more. 20 That's the point. The point isn't that LeBron James is only paying 20% of this school and he's just, you know, you know, he's forcing the government to pay 80%. No, the government was already putting in most of that money and it was a terrible school and all you had to do was increase the spending by a measly 20% on schools. On schools to make sure that children have a better education, better opportunity, better life. And this is what we get. It's utopia for these kids. It's what every child should have. So if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or anybody else that's running on free college or better schools or any of that, if they get this question about, like, how are you going to pay for it? Just point to that. It took 20%. uh, 20% of the school's budget, I guarantee you, we've spent more than that on protecting the Trump boys. Oh, I guarantee easily probably within the first two months of Trump's presidency. Yeah. When they were flying back and forth around the world gallivanting with Secret Service details. It's like that's what our hard earned tax money is going. We've spent that money. We've spent that money. And like, you know, I've told this story before and I don't want to get too much into it. But like I come from 
a conservative, very, very conservative family. And I remember when I was a kid and I came here to Washington, D.C., and all I remember is my dad saying, like, look at this opulence. Look at the look at how much money they've spent on these buildings and these chambers. I'm like, sure, I get that frustration. I do, truly. But to say that, like, we're fine spending all this money on obsolete warfare, weapons of war, or, um, you know, making sure our big boy president gets vacation constantly and security constantly, or that we're spending money, literally, our tax dollars, the money that we pay in taxes are going to, like, completely gut environmental regulations and all these horrible things that these goblins in the Trump administration are doing. You could come to me and make the case. If I'm a, like if I was one of these like uh, uh conservatives that don't like the spending of money on these opulent things, you come to me and you say, "Look, here's the deal. We're going to cut this 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 and this, but 20% of that we're going to put into our schools, and you know what? We're going to have the greatest schools in the world." You can sell me on that. And, like, look, th this whole idea of, like, flipping conservatives to vote Democratic is not a great strategy, as we learned in 2016. But, like, you could change some minds. And you could say, we are going to spend some money, but we're going to spend it wisely. Right. Like, if the Republicans and the right are so concerned with defense, which obviously they are, because yeah. just look at the money that they allocate towards defense and war. Like, the it goes, it comes full circle to the Space Force conversation that we have, we yeah. had earlier, right? Like, Pence is talking like we're going to send actual physical bodies right. to space. Right. And that's not the case. What we are going to do is make technological advancements that will make war more and more and more like in the domain of cybersecurity and things like that. So yep. what does defense actually mean? If, if they could think beyond their noses, they would realize that defense means a good education because these kids <laughs> yes. need to be intelligent, to program the computers that will carry out the war that they care about. Like, it's not about physical combat anymore. And, like, it's everything, right? Like, our the biggest threat to our country, actually, is climate change. Some sure, say. sure, yes. We need kids to be educated on what that means and the science, like, advancements that we need take a good education. And we're failing our kids right now. It's, our country is failing our kids. Uh, uh, failing our kids is an understatement. Yeah. I mean, we are we are not just failing our kids, we are dooming our children. I mean, children. holy guacamole, they're going to school and they're getting shot and we're not doing anything. <laughs> we, we haven't even discussed that. Yeah. I mean, that's completely separate from the fact that our schools are terrible uh, in a lot of places. Like, aside from the education stuff, and we're not funding them, and we're not paying our teachers, and we're not giving kids the tools that they need to learn. Aside from that, oh, yes, and P.S., by the way, you also might get gunned down at any given moment in any school in America. Look, I think that what Alexand uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is getting right is that there is something wrong. Here's a pain point. Yeah. And no, we don't have all of the answers yet, but let's get all of our lawmakers together and on board to acknowledge that there is a problem and let's figure out a, a solution because it is within reach. I'm reminded of, uh, you might remember this politician, his name was Barack Obama, who talked about the audacity of hope. Right. Like, we can get this done, y'all. We can get this done. And it really it is not a pain that anybody would feel to spend more money on our public schools. It's not, it's not a problem. 
Nope. And whether it's AOC or Bernie Sanders or any of the other Democratic socialists or far left progressives or whatever, if you get these questions about who are we going to pay for it, we can pay for it. LeBron James proves that you can pay for it. One man made that difference. Mm -hmm. Another thing um, on the topic of Democratic socialists and Ocasio-Cortez, did you see any of the poll quotes from her um, Pod Save America interview? No. Oh, my gosh, Peter, you're going to love it. Let me read. read. Please do. No, no, I would love that. So when asked about Democratic socialists um, and sort of their place within the Democratic Party right now and whether or not it's causing these schisms, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. she says... Folks in the political establishment think that running to the center, moderating our policies, being as close to a saltine cracker as possible is what's going to make us win elections. And I don't think that's the case. Hell yeah. (laughs) And then she also goes on to say that, like, she thinks that a fundamental problem with the establishment um, Dems right now is that they are constantly focusing their energy on converting uh, these, like, swing voters the the mythical republican that will like see the light and vote for somebody like hillary clinton she's like that's all wrong we need to be focusing 100 percent of our energy on energizing non-voters to get out and vote because we know what they want and we're speaking to points that help them amen sister yes more of you everywhere please i'm still i still I have nightmares about 2016 and Chuck Schumer saying, well, Hillary Clinton's strategy is very clear. We're going to go and we're going to flip these conservative voters that are so outraged by Donald Trump that they're going to vote against him. That's not going to work. But there are non-voters who won't come out because, again, these centrist Democrats. They don't feel represented. No, because they're not represented. Right. They're not being represented. These centrist Democrats are selling them out. Yes. And they're not helping them out. And if you're one of these people who, like, doesn't identify as a Democrat or a Republican and you just don't vote because you think the whole thing is screwy and and messed up. By the way, Barack Obama's to blame for this. Hillary Clinton is is to blame for this. Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter. You look at this history of centrist Democrats that, like, no more. The Democratic Party should be like, no more. We're not going to play nice with the other side. Like, if you go back and you listen to Barack Obama's groundbreaking speech that he gave in uh, 2006 before he announced he was running for president, this big, that big speech at the Democrat, it is pure and absolute drivel. And I say that thinking that it was the greatest speech of all time five years ago. Right, but we've just come it's so drivel. far. And I think that people really are coming to this conclusion that like we can and we should demand more of our government. Yeah. Yes. We can do so much more and we can be so much more and there can be people that look like you that actually care about you that come from your neighborhood that can represent you. And yeah. that is what we should demand of our elected officials. Yes. Absolutely. So here is another quote from that same um podcast interview that she did. This Hit is me. when she was hitting the trail um out in Michigan. She was stumping for um, why am I blanking on his name? Um, the doctor El Sayed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she said, um, "Our swing voter is not red to blue. Our swing voter is the voter to the non-voter, the non-voter to the voter." And that just it makes my heart sing because yeah. we don't need to waste any more energy, and time is of the essence. We don't need to convince people that already buy into the idiocy and the 
craziness of what has become of the Republican Party today. We don't need to try to bend them. We have enough people who see it as it is. You, if you guys aren't watching, you can see I just have these heart eyes emojis going on right now, listening to the quotes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because that's it. I mean, that look, it. there's something to be said about listening to some of these rural voters. Truly. Truly. 100%. And this is not to say that we should just ignore these people that have swung to Trump who haven't, like, like red to blue, not going to happen. Undecided voters who swung red for the Trump election, that happened. That actually happened, and you can win them back. One final thing I just want to – I just I, I have to get this in because this also makes me very, very happy on a different topic. CNBC has a new study uh, that they did a, a study with market research firm SimilarWeb about how many people are visiting Facebook. How has Facebook – uh, survived in the era where we found out that they were sharing our information, giving platforms to racists, all that stuff. Um, since 2016, how many monthly page visits has Facebook shed? How many have they lost? Four billion. According to this study, they are shedding massive, massive traffic. They are just leaving Facebook. Four billion page views, page visits to uh, Facebook. That's that's how bad it is. That's how bad it's been for Facebook over the last two years. And, buddy, I hope it only gets worse for them. Truly. Truly. Because they are still not doing a great job of monitoring hate speech and things like that. And you might be asking, where are these people going? They're going to YouTube. That's where most of these people are leaving. They're leaving Facebook and going to YouTube. Like me, I, I essentially have left Facebook and I've just gone to Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So maybe this is where Peter announces that he's starting a new YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. check out my un my Birchbox unboxing. Smash that like button, fam. <laughs> Stay tuned. We're gonna take a very very quick break. Oh, remember Paul Manafort? That trial is still going on. We'll talk to our buddy Ryan Riley uh, from the Huffington Post. Huff Post who's going to join us in studio right after this. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I remember, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. I'm on Twitter, at Peter Ogburn. I don't tweet that much, but I do watch uh, 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 Twitter. I just want to thank, uh, the beginning of the last segment, I talked about because someone was getting mad at me because I, I had some kind words about Juggalos and how Juggalos just want to be left alone. They don't really want to start any, any any junk. And so someone got mad at me because I bashed fish. And I just, I'm not, a, I'm not a fish fan. I'm not a fish fan. So now I've got people sending me links to live performances of fish. And let me just say, if that's how you're using Twitter, it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> I do not want any live performances of fish tweeted at me which means I'm now going to get probably 30 of them. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter, at Peter Ogburn. Uh, you can follow our next guest on Twitter, at Ryan J. Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y. Ryan, good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. He is the senior justice reporter uh, for HuffPost. What a week you've had. What a week. We've yep. talked to you a lot about the upcoming trial of Paul Manafort and the alleged crimes of Paul Manafort, but this was... Showdown. This, this was, was a showdown this week. This is the big one, yeah. Him and his top deputy, you know, Rick Gates out there. So it was pretty pretty intense in the courtroom, yeah. So let, let's just start out 
talking about Rick Gates' testimony because it went what three days that yeah. he was he was talking, and there was a really shocking moment um, on on the first day that he was on the trial of. Have you committed crimes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have you committed crimes with Paul Manafort? Yes. Yeah. Did he go into any detail about that? He did go into some detail. What's What's funny about it is you know like that like that's the you know it's it the dynamics of covering this trial are a little bit tough and you know difficult because there's it's it's like a, you know another century in there like or another decade you don't have your cell phone you know you're sort of cut off from the world there's like a little cafe that you could really stashes their phones in so everybody it's basically like sort of a pack mentality when everyone makes those judgment calls of when to run out of the room and like run down the stairs and oh, like go outside yeah so that's why you only get like these occasional every two hours you'll get like a dispatch or something like that from people and you sort of have to make judgment calls about what's important and that was one of those moments where everyone was like yeah ah. it's so funny you said that because we were actually on our on our we do a conference call every day at five yeah. o'clock and just before then that's when all these things started popping out right and i saw like this is what he said. He yeah. he admitted to crimes, and he and he directly implicated yeah. uh, Paul Manafort in the same crimes. And all of a sudden, there's just this, this explosion of it. Right. I mean, if you think you step back for a second, it's like, yeah, obviously that's what he was about to testify for. Like, right, like, right. Like that's the why else like, would they bring him up? Right. <laughs> but like when like just that direct questioning was like, yeah, like yeah, I committed. Like it was very casual discussion of just like all of the crimes he committed. Like just like I mean, just fraud all over the place. Like you know, lying on <laughs> loan applications and like uh, you know every just every all this stuff. Like you know these overseas transfers these wires and you know skipping you know trying to keep money out of uncle sam's pocket by just directly paying these vendors over you know the money has never you know been officially imported or taxed and i mean it was just like this grand just so much casual casual you know <laughs> law breaking i mean my favorite was just like when he was they were talking about the inaugural like and is it you know uh -huh. have you ever stolen from the trump inaugural committee where you're working he's like it's possible. I mean, <laughs> who could know? Who could, I mean, who we did so know? many crimes. I mean, who could possibly know? Frankly, I've lost track. What do you, what do you expect me to keep a track yeah. of all my crimes? I mean, that was like kind of like a point that Benefort's lawyer made. He said, "Wait, what? You know, you so can't remember all the lies you told, or something like that." He's like, "Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah." Basically, that's it. Yeah. Um, it, it, we were talking off air about this a little bit, like. Why would this go to trial? Why would Paul Manafort allow this to go to trial? Like yeah. he seems, and again, I, I've paid some attention to it, obviously, because we're going to talk about it on the show. But I have not really like gotten into the the depths of the of the Manafort trial. But like, why? Why would he go through with this trial? Because he looks guilty as hell. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key there is the question of how much. The, the key to sort of resolving that question is why he went to trial is how much he actually, how much of value he actually had. At, to the core investigation, you know, the Russia mm -hmm. investigation, the Trump investigation, how much value he actually had, whether it was enough. And that is sort of then when you can sort of like, you know, if we knew what he knew, then that's when you can sort of trying to make logic out of these decisions. Right. Because if he yeah. if he didn't have enough to give them that was a value or something of that nature, then maybe it's a situation where he's like, all right, I'm going to be doing some time anyway. He's at the you know, he's got 68, you know. If he gets sentenced for a couple of these things, he could die in jail, so yeah. or die in prison rather. So, sure, sure. I mean, you know, it's it, it's tough to say. You know, is this he just going out on a last chance? But the other thing is the pardon. I think that's the big you component go. of it. And if he goes to trial on this, there's a lot more. You know, there's this daily coverage. I mean, this is all sort of speculation, but does you know Trump see it on Trump see this on the news all the time and not want to be associated with him, but also like feel sympathy for this guy that he knew and the idea that he's going to die in prison and you know yada yada, and then he eventually pardons him. Yeah, you wrote about that. The Trump pardon is starting to look like Paul Manafort's best hope, yeah. and and I think that's probably right. Yeah. I think that's the only way that he gets out of this. But you know, the more that the 
Manafort trial gets coverage, the more we hear about it and the more the details come mm-hmm. out about just how openly corrupt he was. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is taking away the whole, like, you know, lavish expenditures. Mm-hmm. The ostrich suits and the, I mean hundreds of thousands of dollars on on clothing and things like that. My favorite, I knew the, the the ostrich uh, jacket was pretty solid, but I also enjoyed which, by the way, it's not a good looking jacket. They should picture of it. It's terrible. not a good looking jacket. Like if, if if you're gonna if you're gonna put me in an ostrich jacket, I want feathers. I want to look like a big old ostrich. It just looks like a crappy jacket. Yeah, you could not tell that was like oh you'd have to tell people this is ostrich. Like right, right. You're like it's like oh we're oh, knocked off leather. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sure he did. By the way, I'm sure he did. But like he's spent crazy money on stuff. Crazy money. My favorite, though, was the um, the landscaper who, when he testified, he just, like, it's just, just like, run of the mill landscaper guy, and, like, goes up and just, like, is very proud of his work, like, obviously. Sure. And, like, and, like talks in, like, great, like, without being really prompted, like, oh, what kind of landscaping? It was a very general question. And just goes into extensive detail <laughs> about all of the work that he did. And my favorite was, there was uh, this bed of white roses, and right in the middle in red, you had a big M. Like, like yeah, Oh, my like, God. And and then he's like, you know, flower pots all around the tennis court. He just goes on probably for, you know, I don't know. It felt like an eternity. And then finally the ju- like the judge is like, it's probably enough. Like, it's enough. <laughs> That's <laughs> not funny. We right get on. the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy d- just had money to burn. We get it. We get it. Like, just like, I forget how much it was. It was some crazy, you know, like 150 or something a year or something. Like, oh. it's just like on, on just your landscaping bill. It was, it's yeah, crazy. It's crazy, yeah. It's crazy. And so, like. You know, as this trial goes on, as we hear these just ludicrous uh, 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 stories about his his corruption and his spending and all this stuff, does that make it harder for Donald Trump to publicly pardon this guy who has been? This is a ridiculous question, I know, because like this is not <laughs> this is not how Donald Trump's brain works. Yeah, but like it seems to me that at that point, uh, You've got a bit of an optics problem. Yeah. Like, Paul Manafort, I think, has been successfully painted as a bad guy. Yeah. This trial is only sort of uh, it's either making people realize that or just confirming what we already thought, that he's right. a bad guy. So Donald Trump is going to have to come out and publicly pardon a bad guy. Right. Will he do it? I think it really it depends. I think that, like, I think the timing is really the main question. I think down the line, does he do it? Probably throw him a bone, yeah. But like, does he do it right away? I think that's risky. I think that that's politi- like a little bit more politically risky for him to do that, you know, from the outset. Although he's already taken, you know, <laughs> the first time we've gotten Donald Trump interested in the idea of, you know, um, pretrial detention is in the Paul Manafort case, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, solitary confinement without even being convicted of anything, and. Yeah, like that happens a lot, actually. <laughs> like a lot of people who aren't convicted of stuff, like you know, hundreds of thousands of people are held every night who haven't been convicted of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, that's that's how how it works. Uh, I I, I want to get back to this. I, I have to interrupt just because there, there's a little. It's not necessarily breaking news, but this just popped up on the Guardian this morning uh, about Amarosa's book, which mm-hmm. we've we've talked about on the show. Amarosa, uh, in her book, these are some of the claims that are in there, according to The Guardian. I'm going to read directly from The Guardian. Donald Trump is a racist who has used the N-word repeatedly, Amarosa, once the most prominent African-American in the White House, claims in a searing memoir. Um, The future U.S. president was caught on mic uttering the taboo racial slur, which, (laughs) what a way to describe it. The taboo racial slur, quote, multiple times during the making of his reality TV show, The Apprentice, which is something that people have talked about. Like, there is the N-word tape of Donald Trump. 
She also talks about some of his language around the White House. This is directly from the uh, Daily Mail piece. Uh, quote, she also claims that she personally witnessed Trump use racial epithets about White House counselor Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, who is half, who is half Filipino. Would you look at this George Conway article, she quotes the president as saying, and I'm not going to repeat, <laughs> I'm not going to repeat what he said about him, but it's not good. Uh, Donald Trump is going to have to answer for that, I think. At some point, some reporter should ask him about these claims. And we Who will see. Who would have thought that Amoroso hiring her at the White House was a poor decision? Right? How well, uh, come back to bite him, you know? Man, you know? Who like, would have thought? It's so amazing to me. And, and like, Amorosa, we know who Amorosa is. Yeah. I mean, she was she was a backstabbing contestant on The Apprentice, that, which is like what the show is built on. Yeah. She was a Hillary Clinton supporter before <laughs> Donald Trump got into the race. Like, I think she just puts her finger up and feels where the wind is blowing and goes in that direction. Yeah. And so I mean, had she not joined the Trump campaign, who the hell would she be right now? Like, right. No one would have any idea. Who, like, that was her that was her ticket. Yeah. That was her, you know. And also, what a colossal self-own on the Trump administration by hiring this person who is clearly a liability. Mm -hmm. I think everybody can see that hiring Amorosa would be a liability. And all of a sudden, she's coming out to, like with receipts, because apparently she taped some of their conversations, yeah. uh, saying that she, ha like going on record saying that he has said horrible things about a lot of different people. The Shock of all shocks. The best, I think, which is the situation that the Trump administration has gotten to multiple times where you know they now have to go about you know attacking this person's character and it's like you know oh you can't return you hired her to a white house yeah. position like right like that's the whole it's like a cell phone again because it's like oh okay like yeah we can't this person can't be trusted blah 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 you know like, yada 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 however you hired her, you however, hired her. she worked in the white house under you know yeah it's still i think the that's my favorite thing about the rod rosenstein thing where, yeah. where it's like it's like oh yeah like oh man who you know like oh we didn't have any like Trump talking about the essay, this bogus idea that he's this Democrat. He's a Republican. He's a lifelong Republican. Yeah. But like this idea, and it's like that's an enormous cell phone. Like yeah. again, like you're talk, you talk, put the you saying that you don't know who this person is. You put him in the number two <laughs> position in the Justice Department, right. running the daily operations of the largest law enforcement body in the like the law. It's just some crazy. guy. Like, I don't right, know who, he some, is. who knows? Who knows who he is? Like yeah, like what does that say about your vetting process? You know, I, but, I yeah. still think the greatest roast of all time mm -hmm. uh or, or of, of the entire trump administration was after they fired steve bannon mm -hmm. and donald trump put in like the meanest thing you could say about somebody in washington dc steve was a staffer yeah. <laughs> and we wish him well a staffer the guy put together his whole campaign strategy he worked in the white house paul Manafort worked for me for a very short time for example he was the campaign you know? manager he ran his campaign at the key part of yeah. like it's like oh very short time at the key part of the entire yeah. like right yes yes he ran your entire nomination you i know? can't wait for Jared Kushner to get indicted and Donald Trump, I never, I never, yeah, really, yeah. I would never, get, like Jared Kushner runs everything. <laughs> and he's like, I never gave him any jobs. I don't know who that guy is. Um, so I, I want to talk about your latest piece uh, because it's it was getting back to the Paul Manafort trial. Two of, as Trump's called, his best people yeah. faced off in court and you say nobody ends up looking great, which I think that's a really good way to put it. I think mm -hmm. Rick Gates doesn't look great. Paul Manafort looks even worse. Mm -hmm. And so, like, these are the people that Donald Trump surrounded himself. So, yeah. like, I, I guess what I'm saying, like, what happens to Rick Gates after this? 
<laughs> I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I think that he was in a more precarious financial situation than perhaps, you know, Manafort was. So that's yeah. one of the reasons why, you know, he... He, he can only afford to spend eighty thousand dollars a year on landscaping. Yeah, you know, he, I mean, he's, you, know, he, you look at you know, he's got he's got four kids, um, and you know, he's I don't know what his his future is. Probably, I think he's a he's a convicted felon now. You know, yeah. so I don't think they're going to be able to argue for probation. It's possible. Yeah. You know, he gets that, um, but I don't know. I, on the other hand, I see like that he this is it's because it's not only the two crimes that he confessed to lying to the FBI and right you know, conspiracy against the United States. He's he he talked on the stand about this whole host of financial crimes that he committed um so beautiful yeah i mean i i can i can see a judge saying no like you're you know you're gonna do some time off of that right Right. Um, it's not a it's not a rick gates welcome to the resistance right, type of no, situation no not at all um yeah and i mean he was and that's the that's sort of the really fascinating part of the story because he was he outlasted manafort manafort was yeah. kicked off sort of after some of this ukraine stuff came up um, in you know August of 2016, he went all the way. He went you know onto the inaugural committee and was apparently staying at um, you know <laughs> at the Trump Hotel for a while, yeah. just sort of living out of there and running a lot of the inaugural stuff. And that's sort of the question because we what we've seen so far is this Manafort sending him like a list of people that he wanted invited to the inauguration. Um, so while the trial before up until I think probably Tuesday really didn't touch on Trump, Trump was maybe mentioned once when somebody testified about, oh, he had a place at Trump Tower. Um, but more recently, you know, we've seen, like there's been the direct Trump. And he, when they talked about the president before, it was always funny because it was always like, oh, one of the presidential campaigns he worked on. It was always that reference. They kept it very general. But then we got into these specifics with the Trump campaign and, you know. The inaugural committee and here's who you know Man- uh, Manafort wanted invited to the inaugural stuff and you know Rick Gates also getting emails from Manafort saying oh we got to talk about this guy this is the key thing that we're on here today so basically this idea that Manafort had sort of a quid uh, pro quo with a bank official or a high-ranking bank official that he put on a um, that he eventually landed on a um, Sort of economic committee, and also they were going to try to make him secretary of the uh, the army. <laughs> also that. Also that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's switch gears because here's a here's a name we haven't talked about really all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to, it's, this is just the way things go, right? It dominates, and then it goes away for a little while. Michael Cohn, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think it's it's interesting to sort of show the difference between Paul Manafort and Michael Cohn, who uh, it appears as though Michael Cohn is cooperating. Yeah, it appears that way. I think that the, the surest sign that that's the that that's happening was like. I should say cooperating, but certainly turned against Trump when right. he released he and his lawyer t- released that tape. Right, L- hiring Lanny Davis. Lanny yeah. Davis, Better Call Saul. <laughs> He's our version of Better Call Saul. And like I know Lanny Davis is a good friend of Bill's, but like Lanny Davis is Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. He he absolutely. Um, but I was not one of those guys that thought that like Michael Cohen's immediately going to flip and he's going to give everything up on Trump. I thought like he's one of those like weird fake mafia guys where mm-hmm. loyalty is, you know, loyalty above all else, right. right? But it does not appear that that's happening. I mean, at least make it clear to Trump that he could flip, right? Yeah. I think that's the key thing. And, you know, something's got to be worked out with him behind the scenes. Somebody's got to be, support, you know, I don't know. Somebody's got to be paying those legal bills, right? Like that's yeah. a big, you know, it's a big component of this. So, I mean, he's got he's got dirt. It's a, I mean, no, I don't know. It depends where this goes. The thing is, is that it's not part of the, what I think is actually fascinating. It's not part of the Mueller investigation, right? Right. It's sort of separate from that. So there's this, I, like, 
it'd, it'd be easier in some ways for him to shut down the Mueller probe than it would be for him to shut down this separate thing, which is a really big exposure for the president because it's Southern District right. of New York isn't just shutting down an investigation on the, on a whim, right? Right. You know, I mean, that's the you know they it's not an end. They can't just shut down that U.S. Attorney's office. Like it's like, <laughs> you can't just like you can't just kill you can kill off the special counsel. You can't just shut down the U.S. Attorney's office. Well, right. Well, we'll find we'll out. Find if we can. <laughs> we'll try. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll It'll see play out true. in the courts. <laughs> yeah. I, I would not. I would not. <laughs> say he can't do it he's definitely gonna try right <laughs> by the way i wanted to read uh this, this story um that i saw this morning and it, it kind of drives me crazy but i'm sure you have something to say about it uh quote i am exploring a run for the presidency oh, of the united states and i wanted to come to iowa and listen to people and learn about some issues that are facing the citizens of iowa and do my homework end quote that is a quote from Michael Avenatti. He told the Des Moines Register yesterday. Michael Avenatti, who we all know as the attorney representing Stormy Daniels, which, by the way, he did an interview earlier this week where uh, I think it was on Sirius, where someone actually asked him, "Have you slept with Stormy Daniels?" Yeah, and he was like, "You know, that's the first time I've gotten that question." The answer is obviously no, mm -hmm. but like he's running for president. Mm -hmm. We are crazy as a country. Like, I think Michael Avenatti is a force for good. I think he's doing the right thing. I think that the Stormy Daniels situation is completely screwy, mostly on the side of Donald Trump. And she certainly has a leg to stand on in terms of telling her story. But, like, really? Running for president? I mean, qualifications-wise, I don't know where you're, you know. I mean, but th this, the thing is, like, when you talk, when we talk about, like, oh, who, what qualifications does this person have? I mean, we just, he's a, he's a celebrity. We elected a celebrity as president. I mean. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's a real bummer. But, like, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know his name. A lot of people know that he's been very forceful yeah. and very clever on Twitter and in his media appearances and all that. But does that mean he's going to make a big, a great president? Yeah. It's, it's, it's Michael, something. buddy, <laughs> not a good look. Not a good look. 2018. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about this, this got some play, uh, uh, earlier this week, Devin Nunes was caught on tape talking <laughs> about how they are, yes. the Republican house is there to protect the president. Yeah. And he invoked, uh, you know, he said he wants Jeff Sessions to unrecuse himself. Yep. Uh, and Robert Mueller to drop the case. And if they don't, then the Republicans have to join forces to make sure they protect our big boy, yeah. our big sweet boy president. Yeah. Um, Jeff Sessions is not going to unrecuse himself, right? No. Okay. No. All right. So Donald Trump still clearly hates Jeff Sessions. Yes, clearly. <laughs> okay. But Jeff Sessions isn't going anywhere. No. It, well. Unless Trump fires him. Right. But I, I there's not that much. Yeah, I... I don't think he's going anywhere in the near term. Why hasn't Donald Trump fired him? Because, like, we talk about all the horrible things that he said about women and minorities, Donald mm -hmm. Trump. Like, he'll – like, his most recent – unless something's happened overnight, which very well could have happened. But he bashed Don Lemon and LeBron James yeah. for being low IQ and dumb. And, like, the only white guy that he constantly beats, <laughs> beats up on is fun. Jeff Sessions. And he hasn't fired him yet. Why not? I mean – Logically, if you're if you're operating like you know if you're looking at this logically, <laughs> which, that's adorable, right. Ryan. 
he's the most effective yeah. player, one of the most effective players within the cabinet. I mean, he is this person who is implementing the Trump agenda. He is on board with most of the Trump agenda. He's just not on board with that, like, one specific part, which is, like, open corruption, right? Like, he wasn't willing to go with the open corruption route. I think that that's sort of, like, <laughs> the, you know, it, that was a little, little bridge too far for him, right? Like, he was, because he he knew, he knows how the justice, that's, I mean, the dynamic here is, Donald Trump not knowing or not caring how the Justice Department operates independently. And that that's sort of the crux of this, right? Like Jeff Sessions is a guy who, you know, made his started up in a U.S. attorney's office. That's one of the greatest things he's ever done is be, you know, a line prosecutor and, uh, you know, line prosecutor at DOJ. And yeah. that's sort of he knows the institution and like, you know, whatever you say about his policies, he respects the general Sure, know, rules sure. of DOJ. He knows sure. how it's operating. He know he. This sure. is something that Jeff Sessions would be raising hell about had the the kind of relationship between the White House and you know and DOJ existed during the Obama administration, right? Like that would yeah. have been he would have been outraged about that. So he knows that that's wrong. He still thinks that like you know I I to to have a discussion with Jeff Sessions about what he about this whole dynamic would just be fascinating. I mean, he's never really talked you know at length because this is something that he would be very angry about had you know sure. this happened in any other administration what trump is trying to do but i think he's you know excusing it and saying you know well, he doesn't know he's a businessman blah 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 that sort of thing we got to give him time right you know yeah he's still learning on the job <laughs> uh okay so we only got a minute left uh final question when does this manafort trial end when is this over so they're wrapping when do we up, wake up from this nightmare the prosecution wraps up today oh. i think that the um defense maybe puts on a cut we don't know how many witnesses next week is the short answer okay. uh, do we get a verdict next is week is that fast that feels fast very quick rocket docket is what they call you know eastern district i love that term. um yeah so i mean and the judge has been very sort of tight on them and sort of trying to speed this along and wrap it up and there's been some pretty intense um interactions so i think that yeah next week is when we it wraps up do we get a verdict next week who knows all right thank yeah. you very much ryan riley from huff post you can follow him on twitter at ryan j riley and folks that does it for us. Make sure you go get your hands on the podcast from today's show. And also remember, we're putting out a podcast on the weekends. you got to subscribe to get it. Have a great weekend. Bill will be back on Monday. We're very, very uh, much looking forward to having you be part of the conversation. Have a good weekend, everybody. This is The Bill Press Show.